Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. It's found on page 809 in your pew Bible on the rack in front of you. Begin reading in verse 30. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now flick or scroll over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. And we'll pick up reading in verse 20. And he, being Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We have the privilege of having Pastor Randy Napers, Neighbors open God's Word for us this morning. A few facts about Randy. He grew up in Newark, New Jersey. He came to know Christ through Calvary Gospel Church. He's been married to Joan, who I believe is here this morning now, since 1971. He is a graduate of Covenant College, a graduate of Covenant Seminary. He is a father of four grown children and eight grandkids. He is currently MNA's Urban Church Planting and Mercy Ministry Coordinator. He is the director of the New City Network, which has about 60 churches. He is the founding pastor of New City Fellowship. He started that church in 1976 and pastored it for almost 36 years. He is a retired Army chaplain, and I have admired Randy and his ministry for a number of years. I actually consider Randy one of my spiritual fathers, my grandfather in the faith, because one of the men that he mentored, Danny Minchell, was one of the men who led me into my call to ministry and continues to disciple me. So I reached out to Danny and I asked how he would introduce Randy. These are his words. I've worked for Randy for a decade and I have more respect for him than about any man that I have ever known. Randy is a man who strives to live out the calling that God has given him, no matter the personal cost. He doesn't just talk about justice for the oppressed. He fights for it. He doesn't just talk about mercy. He is generous to a fault. He doesn't just talk about the need for African-American leadership in the PCA. He works tirelessly to make it a reality. He doesn't just talk about the reconciling power of the gospel. 
It is evident in his personal relationships. My favorite thing about Randy was that a man with his gifting in the pulpit still found joy and the time to lay a blue tarp in the middle of the projects, walk around to invite children to come, and then give an outdoor gospel presentation to those kids. Pastor Randy, please come and open God's Word for us. There will be more information about their ministries that they are involved with. There's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center, and if you can't find it, I'm glad. I'm sure you can ask Randy about it later. But let me pray for you, brother. Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this man, this man and his ministry. And we know that he would give all the glory to Christ. Father, would you now speak through him, enable him to preach your gospel with freedom and with boldness, so that we might hear your word through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. So glad to be here today. I would like to ask my wife Joan if she would stand up so you would know who she is. Um, she shouldn't be that hard for you to identify. Um, I'm really glad to be back here. Uh, most of you were probably not here when my wife and I came. Uh, it was almost, it's over 30 years ago. But Joan and I were preparing to go out as missionaries to Kenya, and that's the Kenyan flag right there in the middle. And uh, McLean uh, Presbyterian got behind us and helped us uh, to go out as missionaries. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we became friends, of course, with Pastor Steve Smallman, and then over the years wound up uh, mentoring his son. Stephen was my intern for several years and uh, recently uh, had the privilege of pastoring uh, his grandchildren uh, at, uh, while they were students at Covenant College. So we've grown close to the Smallman family, and uh, you had a great pastor. It seems like you've got, you keep going with great pastors. Praise God for that. Um, I just want you to know a reputation for a church is an important thing, and McLean Press has a great reputation. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he talks uh, uh, when he writes to churches and he'll praise God for them and, and for what they're known for. And the Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation, as, as he walks among the lampstands, which are congregations, are churches, he talks about uh, their works. So you are not only going to be judged as an individual, we are going to be judged as congregations. So that reputation is important. And praise God that I can come as a visitor and tell you you've got a good one. Thank you for supporting missions. Thank you for caring about church planting. <coughs> I was honored yesterday to meet with some of your deacons and mission people and talk about ways to help poor people. Uh, that was a joy to me. So I'm... I'm just thrilled to be here. And right now we're going to look in the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, if you could open again to Matthew chapter 5, the text that was read for you, Matthew chapter 5. This is known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And I want you to know as we come to this text today, there's a problem. So we're going to try to get to what that problem is. Now, there are various issues here. 
One of the issues is, is this really the Sermon on the Mount, or is it the Sermon on the Plain? Not the airplane, but the flat plane. Because if you compare, and did you notice uh, what David did, what your pastor did today, uh, to read uh, the section in Matthew and in Luke? And there are differences in the two texts. And uh, Luke says that they came to a plain and preached. Matthew, they're on the mountain. So which is it? Is there a contradiction here in Scripture? If you notice, there's also an issue uh, that Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, but Luke doesn't add in spirit. He just says, blessed are the poor. So what's going on here? Did Luke just forget? Did he leave stuff out? Did he not get the right information? Or did Matthew insert something? Did Matthew get spiritual on us? What's going on here? And scholars defer uh, about their opinion uh, of this. John Calvin thinks it was basically one sermon, just seen from different perspectives. He doesn't see any contradiction. There are other scholars think, no, no, it was... uh, that was preached probably a bunch of times in in different places and and sometimes Jesus said everything he said in Matthew and sometimes he only said what he said in Luke and you know arguing with Calvin is is uh, is problematic (laughs) we had a a man transfer into our presbytery down in Tennessee Valley presbytery and uh, someone stood up to ask him a question said do you think Calvin was right? And before he could even ask the question, the man said, yes! <laughs> but I know Calvin is not right about everything because I read in his biography that he did not like the tambourine. <laughs> and he obviously was not a fan of black gospel music or Motown. And uh, so he cannot appreciate fully the use of the tambourine. Now, I would say to you, basically, it doesn't really matter if uh, it was preached several times. And if I was being honest, I would tell you that even I have preached the same sermon more than once. <laughs> well, preachers do this. And uh, we're told uh, by John that uh, we, we don't have everything that Jesus said or did. It, it, the books could not contain it. So... Uh, we all ought to assume that Jesus was preaching a lot as he was healing a lot and doing good. And so he may have made these sermons appropriate uh, for certain congregations. And I think Jesus knows the difference between poor in spirit and being broke. Being really poor. I don't think Jesus made a mistake. And one reason I say that is because I know why Jesus came. And he tells us why he came in Luke chapter 4, where he opens up the scroll and reads from the prophet Isaiah and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. God has a concern for the physically poor. Uh, in fact, if you, you can't read the book of Proverbs without realizing that who, if you loan to the poor, you loan to God. And if you abuse the poor, you better watch out because God will take up their case. God is a defender of the widow 
and the orphan, and the alien, and the poor. If you read the Bible in its entirety, you know that the Lord God loves those people who physically, materially, are hurting. Hallelujah. By the way, there are probably, hopefully, certain points in this sermon in which it might be appropriate for you to say amen. (laughs) And and if you want to go to heaven, you will. (laughs) Uh, That's that's not really true. (laughs) There is a problem. But it's not so much the the distinction between Matthew here and Luke. It's, It's not... So much was it on a mountain or a plain. There is another issue, and that is that uh, there's a tense issue. Uh, In other words, uh, it starts off, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then later on, when he talks about uh, persecution, uh, again, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's right now. But then the others are in the Greek tense. There's a future tense. And and it's a promise of what is to come. Those who mourn will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Those who show mercy, they, they will be shown mercy. So those are future. Is, is there a problem there? Well, I'm personally pretty glad for the immediacy of being in the kingdom when there's trouble, of realizing that that inheritance is not just a pie in the sky, but it's, it's the presence of Almighty God in our life right now. So there is, there, there's some distinction there, but that, that's not the problem of the text. Then there's another issue of a misunderstanding about poverty. People might read this, and, and by the way, a fair translation of the word blessed is the word happy. So you might have a translation that says, Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or happy are the the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, And you might have heard people say, Well, you know, the poor don't have anything, but at least they're happy. And you know, they don't don't have to worry about as much stuff as I do, because they don't have anything. And that would be a total misunderstanding both of this text and of poverty. I want you to know that the book of Proverbs says the ruin of the poor is their poverty. Poverty is ruinous. Poverty destroys people. Poverty makes people die early. People are in suffering when they are poor. They they hurt when they're poor. I, I know a little something about poverty. My father abandoned my family when I was four years old and put us on a train from Memphis and sent us up to Newark, New Jersey. I was born in Memphis and we moved in with my grandparents and after about a year uh, my mom's life kind of fell apart both morally and economically and we moved into city housing projects and so there we were uh, in a broken home living on welfare in what was called the worst city in America, in one of its worst neighborhoods. I can remember my mom weeping at the kitchen table because there was no food left in the house. 
I know that poor people can't afford good dental care. I know that they sometimes have to make a choice between filling a prescription and having enough to eat. Poverty is not fun. So if any of you have the myth that poverty makes people happy, all I can say is get a grip. It does not. Now I do want you to know in the providence of God that another single parent mom reached out to my mom and invited us to a little, her out to a little house church. And, and that night there was an evangelist there. His name was Kennedy Smart. And uh, the next day, that evangelist and that pastor, they came to our apartment in the projects and they led our family to Christ. And that began a lifetime of discipleship. And that's one of the reasons I am an advocate and a champion of what it means to do ministry to the poor through the local church because I believe that the poor can be discipled out of poverty. And in fact, I believe that is the best solution. I believe the absolute best solution for the poor is to plant the right kind of church in their community. The poor need Christ. And the poor need discipleship in a whole new value system. We've had enough of drive-by mercy. We, we, we've, we've had enough of, of, of just showing up, painting a house, and leaving, and thinking we did a good job. The poor are not for our experience. The poor are those waiting to become part of the body of Christ. And I can thank God that that happened to my family. And so I'm... You know, I can tell my congregation, I've told them for years, there's never a day when anybody in this church should have to go hungry. All we have to do is know that you're hungry and we'll feed you. We've got enough food in this church. I praise God that the body of Christ can do that. Amen? So the problem here is not that idea. Then there's a theological problem. The theological problem or issue, it's not the problem, but it's, it's, it's a big issue here. The theological issue is, you might read this and think, if I did those things, I could earn my way to heaven. If, if, this is great ethical teaching. If I could just have a personality like this, if I could just live my life like this, God would like me. God would be pleased with me. And you know, I could almost guarantee that. If you really could live this way, God would like you. But there's a problem. God doesn't like you. You say, well, how do you know that? Because you don't live this way. Not on your own. See, here's the theological problem. Or the, excuse me, I keep messing that up. I want to say issue, not problem, because there is a central problem here, and I'm trying to get there. The theological issue is that you might mistake that you could accomplish this through human effort when what you need in order for this to be true in your life is grace. See, you read the rest of the New Testament, you read the rest of the Gospels, and you realize that without Christ in your life, you can't live like Christ. This is the personality of Jesus. 
In order for you and I to have the personality of Jesus, we have to have Jesus in us. And in order for that to happen, the Holy Spirit has to open your eyes and my eyes to realize that we can't do it on our own and that we look at the cross and we realize that he died for us, rose again for us, and is able to make us a new creation. That's the theological issue here. You might have a misunderstanding of thinking that you could accomplish this on your own and therefore please God. I want you to understand that being poor in spirit does not come naturally. And now here we get to the problem. And it's a problem both for non-Christians and it's a problem for Christians. it's, It's a constant challenge for us. Before we become Christians, it's totally impossible to get to poverty of spirit. But once we become Christians, we still struggle with the issue. And what is that? What is the problem? The problem is that there is this insidious, insipid atheism that grows inside of us because of the presumption of self-sufficiency. You should have wrote that down. That's a great... I even made it better than I made it in the other services. (laughs) An insidious and insipid atheism that grows within us because of the presumption of self-sufficiency. Some, you know, some people go around saying, well, we're all broken. And that's true, but that doesn't mean you're poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means to live in the reality of that brokenness with a dependency on Christ. We are all broken, but we're not all equally broke. And one reason that the poor are a lot closer to this is because they are in touch with their need. When when you're healthy... When you're middle class or above, when you're well-educated, when you're good-looking, when you have stuff and material things, something begins to happen to your heart. I think it's revealed for us in a prayer that we find in Proverbs. So turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 30. And here the writer of Proverbs cries out to God in verse 7. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. That's the atheism of which I'm speaking. When your heart says, and your heart is revealed by how you live, who is the Lord? I don't need him. I made my 
way. And I'll take care of my own needs. And there are some symptoms of this. One is actually worry. If you worry about losing your stuff, your dependency is on your stuff. If you worry about losing your job, your dependency is on your job. If you're worried about losing anything, then that's what your idol is. There's one thing that the Christian can't lose. And that's his status in the family of God. Once you're adopted by God, you're a son forever. You belong to him. And nobody can take you out of his hand. And when you're poor, when you're physically poor, and you come to Jesus, and you realize that you can talk to your Father in heaven, that's power. When you can pray, poor, broke as you are, you can pray and ask God for something, and you see God do things, and you realize that you have access Not to your local alderman, not to your congressman, not to your senator, not to the White House, but to heaven's throne. That's power. That's identity. That's why the poor are blessed. They inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's why rich people miss it. No, Matthew and Luke didn't get it confused. If you read Luke carefully, you'll realize that Luke wasn't leaving out the spiritual stuff. He was really dealing with the material because he has a whole section there about woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well fed now. There is danger in our stuff. Now, you know, I'm not one of these radical guys who goes around giving up all my stuff. I can't. I'm married. It, it doesn't all belong to me. If, you know, I'd rather, I'd like to give all Joan's stuff away and keep mine, but that, that would be wrong. You know, in fact, the Bible says we ought to be thankful for everything God has given us. If, if we receive it with thanksgiving. My sermon today, though, is about protecting your heart so that you could be the kind of person God wants you to be, so that you could really help the poor without being condescending, thinking you're better than anybody else. You are not. I am not. I am nothing without Christ. And I want to give you a homework assignment today. I want you to go home to your house and I want you to take an inventory of your life. I want you to look at your cars. I want you to look at your furniture. I want you to look at the clothing in your closet. I want you to look at your children. I want you to think about your investments. I want you to think about all of this stuff and you ask yourself if any of it is making your heart hard, making you presume that you can do things on your own. And I would challenge you, get down on your knees and offer it up to God. And and just asking, Lord, don't let this steal from me. 
what it means to rely completely on you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the man who was born blind. And Jesus met him and he healed him. And the Pharisees were upset because it had happened on the Sabbath. And uh, they asked him, for, well, who did this to you? And he said, I don't know, I was blind. And they said, were, were you really blind? And, and they bring his parents and Was this man born blind? Yeah, we, we know he's born blind. Well, how does he see? We don't know. And he said, well, this man who healed you, uh, he is a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath. He said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But here's something interesting. Nobody's ever heard of anybody healing a man who was born blind. So how could God answer him if he, had, if he wasn't a man of God? And they kicked him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus met him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is he, Lord? That I would believe in him. He said, me? The one talking to you. He said, I believe. And the Pharisees were there. And Jesus, Jesus is telling them, he says, you know, you were blind, and because you were blind, I could heal you. But those who insist that they can see remain in their blindness. And the Pharisees were offended. And they were saying, are you saying we're blind too? And Jesus said, as long as you insist that you can see, you will remain in your blindness. The point of that is this. As long as you think you can do it on your own, as long as you think you don't need God, as long as you think you're the master of your own fate, you can't have God. You've got to own up. Own up to your failure, your spiritual mess, the brokenness of your life, your dependence, your absolute dependence on Him. Do not let all the good stuff that came into your life blind you for the thing that will give you eternity. That's my sermon. Because I will tell you, if the people of McLean Presbyterian Church are poor in spirit, they will be rich in the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love sinners like us. We had nothing to bring, nothing to give you, but our sin and you've loved us and loved on us and you have provided our every need Lord I pray that those who were poor and have now become better off that they will not forget where they came from and I pray Lord that those who've always had it easy would even this day realize they have nothing without you Oh Lord, do not let us become atheists in our life, the way we live our life. We would be Christians who need Christ. Help us for these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.